right, you guys can thank you, worship team. Kids, only kids, you are dismissed. Youth, you are not kids. Youth, you get to stay right here. Seeing as how I'm your teacher usually and I'm down there, today I'm here, so you might as well just stay in here and hang out with me. While they are all leaving, you guys can turn to 1 Kings 19. We are going to be in 1 and 2 Kings today. I'm going to take a drink of water. <clears throat> all right. So, my name is Matt. I'm excited to be up here. Thank you all for allowing me this privilege to be here today. Have you guys ever watched a TV show or a movie that at the very start of it, jumps right into a high drama, high climax scene. Like it's the big energy, it's the big moment, it's the big thing right at the beginning, and then it stops, and then it says three weeks earlier. Or a voice comes over and says, how did we get here? How did this happen? What, what's going on here? And then it takes you back in time and then walks you back to the story. We've seen those TV shows and movies, right? You know what I'm talking about? That's what I want to do today. I'm going to jump into 2 Kings and read this. 2 Kings 2, 11 through 12. And as they, being Elijah and Elisha, still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. God, I just ask right now that you would allow me to speak only the words that you want me to speak. God, allow your words to come off this page, this scripture, to where we see it, we know it, we hear it, and we can apply it to our lives. God, I just pray that your spirit be in this place, that you'd calm my nerves and allow us to hear from you. In the name I pray, amen. All right, I want you guys to envision that scene. You've got Elijah and Elisha walking along together, just the two of them, and then a chariot of fire and horses of fire come out of the sky separate the two of them, Elisha falls to this side, Elijah falls to that side, and then a tornado or a funnel cloud or a whirlwind, everyone looks at it, takes Elijah up to heaven. That's our high energy scene. Pretty cool, right? If you really envision it. The Bible, we read it so often and don't really put it in picture. That's what happened. He's sitting there watching, Elisha's watching Elijah go up to heaven in a whirlwind. Pretty cool. But how did they get here? How did this happen? How was Elijah in that position to go to heaven, how was Elisha there able to watch that and see God's power in place? I'm glad you asked. Both these men were prophets of God. Both, these, both Elijah and Elisha were prophets of God, but they're very easy to get confused, and for someone as eloquent as a speaker as I am, you wonder, why did he pick Elijah and Elisha? I don't know. I don't know why I did that. But Elijah I've got a little graph up there, a graphic to get you to understand who's who. Elijah, I'll go on this side because we read left to right. Elijah was first, right? I hammer the J, the J, ABCs, J comes before SH. So Elijah was the first prophet, not the first prophet in the Bible, but between these two guys, he was the first one to come about. He was older. He was the teacher. Um, he was kind of a loner. He was, in the Bible, you see a lot of times when he was by himself, he, he came from meager existence. There was a situation where um, the ravens, the Lord sent ravens to feed him food that they had scavenged. He just, he lived a meager, lonely, by himself kind of life. Yet, he doesn't die. There's two men in the Old Testament 
that do not die. Elijah's one and Enoch is another. It's a good trivia question for you. But he's probably most well known for most of you guys for defeating the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. When they, he challenged the prophets of Baal and he had his altar, they had their altar, and he dumped buckets of water on his altar, and God sent down fire from heaven and burned it up. That's what Elijah's probably most well known for as one of his miracles. But Elijah is first. He's the teacher, he's the mentor, he's the one that Elisha follows after, okay? Elisha, the S-H, comes second. Go to this side. Elisha, what we know about him, he had power. I'll go to this side. He had, he had friends, he had family, he was successful, he was well-to-do in his current life that he was in. Um, he was the student of Elijah. He was the prophet in waiting. He was the prophet in training. He, one of his cool things that we know about him, his final miracle that's attributed to him, there was a man healed by his bones. He was dead and in the grave, and there was a group of people that were being, that somebody was searching for him, and they tossed a dead man into his tomb to just get rid of him, and next thing you know, the man was alive and came up. So Elisha's credited for that miracle, and that's kind of one of the cool things we know about him. But what I want to look at today is the discipleship process. This comes on the heels of what Dallas has done with the trail transform and train of discipleship for us. I'm going to look at an Old Testament picture of that and see what this looks like from Elisha learning from Elijah. The things that he did, some questions that we can see from his life that we need to ask ourselves today as we are following after Jesus. So, you guys have 1 Kings 19 open. 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yoke of oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Elijah's in a good spot. Some things that we can tell from Scripture here. He's in a good spot. He has 12 yoke of oxen at his command. More than likely, well, it says he's in the 12th, but more than likely it was led by 11 servants leading the other ones. So he's a man that obviously has land to have to, to work. He has livestock. He has animals. He has 11 servants. He's a well-to-do, successful guy. He has things going the right direction, as, as what we would commonly say, right? Things are going well in his life. It would take a lot to take him off that course, right? Enter Elijah. Enter the cloak. So Elijah comes, and I, I'd like, again, to picture this. Elisha's, he's plowing, he's out in the field, and here comes Elijah walking along, the, the loner prophet, the, the by himself prophet, with his cloak on. And the cloak was that outer that outer coat, that outer garment. It was used for them to protect them against weather. It was their bedding. They would sit on it. They would carry their stuff. It was their luggage. It'd be used for, to pledge debts. Sometimes they'd rip a piece off of it to, to pledge debts. My opinion is that cloak had to stink, right? I mean, he's walking through the desert. He just came out off the mountain. He's coming to Elisha. In the desert, he's sweating. I guarantee that thing had to stink. In my mind, and I didn't even look it up because I didn't want to know, I just... I feel like it's made out of burlap, just this awful feeling is what I feel like. But the cloak is what Elijah comes, throws it on Elisha, and Elisha's like, oh, I'm going to go follow this guy. 
There's no power in that cloak. There's nothing magical about that cloak. But what it signified was, hey, an invitation to come and follow the teacher. An invitation to come and follow the master and to learn from the teacher. That's where the power was. And in that day and time, an invitation to be an apprentice, an invitation to follow after someone of standing, of the man of God, which he was, was a big deal. An invitation to follow the teacher is a big deal. So Elisha takes off and it says he runs after him and says, hey, I'm in. I'm going to go, but I got to go back and kiss mom and dad and tell them bye. And so he, Elisha says, you know, if that's what you got to do, go back. I'm not the one that called you to this. God called you. You're answering to God. So Elisha then takes off and goes back. And again, the picture of the scene, I'm saying the, the, the servants are watching. What, what is he doing? That, why that dirty coat, cloak? Why is he going to talk to him? Elisha's running back to the field and he gets on his yoke and he's going back to He's going back to the, to the farm, and he's telling the servants, go get mom and dad, go get the town, get back to the farm, get back to the farm. They get back up there, and Elisha's already tearing the thing down. He's breaking the plow, he's breaking the yoke, he's slaughtering the oxen, and he is celebrating that he's going to follow after the master. He knows that he can't keep this stuff. If he's going to go seek after Elijah, and he's going to go learn from the teacher and learn from the master, he knows that he can't have anything holding him back. He's got to be done with it. He's got to burn it to the ground and say no more. There cannot be a temptation to go back to my old way of life because I am following after the teacher. The question, the first question I want you to ask yourself, as you're following after Jesus, what is it that you need to leave behind? What is it in your life that you need to leave behind? I think for a lot of us, we say, well, when I first came to know the Lord, which a lot of us have known the Lord for a while, that was an easy thing. Like it was, okay, this is the stuff in my life that doesn't line up with scripture. Okay, I can make that separation. But I also know that as life continues and as the world continues to turn, things come at us that we begin to pick up and we begin to carry and things that we put on our backs and walk with. As Christians, again, we need to reevaluate what do I need to get rid of today if I'm truly going to go follow after Jesus? Because if you're divided, if your mind is divided as to what you're following after, you're missing it. If you're following after the world and you're following after stuff and success and fame and fortune and not after Jesus first, you're missing it. You're missing what God has for you. So what is it in your life that you need to say, I got to get rid of this? And the thing is, Elisha was not doing anything wrong. He had, again, he had good things going. A family, he was providing, mom and dad, he was doing good things. Sometimes in our life, it's good things that we are doing that are still in the way of following after God. There's still good stuff that we need to say, hey, this is good, there's nothing wrong with it, but this is better. This is the better piece, let's follow after this. So when you're looking at your life, even if it's the sin, get that out, yes. But even if it's good, if it's in the way of you following after Jesus, get rid of it, burn it down. He ends that section of scripture and he says that, then he arose in Elijah, after Elijah and assisted him. We also see a, a piece in 2 Kings that says Elisha was known as the hand washer of Elijah. So for the next, scholars say, for the next six to ten years, Elisha followed after Elijah as his servant, as his go-fetch boy. Do this, do that. I mean, Elisha knew, I'm about to go follow this guy in service. And that's one real good way to get your mind off yourself and the stuff you're worried about is to, to serve. You begin to look towards someone else's needs and someone else's thoughts and what they're dealing with. You begin to say, hey, I don't, I don't need this own stuff in my life. 
But I think Elisha knew, if I'm going to go follow this guy, it's not going to be easy. There's going to be hard times that come. I've got to get this stuff, this draw, this temptation out of my life so that I do not go back to that way of life because I'm following the teacher. The Bible continues, 2 Kings, if you'll turn there, 2 Kings 2, 1 through 8. We don't see mention of Elisha, again, from the calling of Elisha till now. And this is, this is the end of Elijah's life, and this is the, the transfer of power and authority on Elisha to then be the prophet, the man of God. Okay, We don't see anything else from Elisha in Scripture from that point to this point. This is the end. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. So apparently it was common knowledge that Elijah's time was coming. I don't know how, I don't know why, but it was common knowledge to them that the day was coming for Elijah to be taken away. Because Elijah's basically on his farewell tour. He's going to all these different cities, and he's stopping in and seeing all the different prophets, talking to the people, and he's going from town to town on his farewell tour because they all know the time is coming that he's going to be taken away. But at each stop, he's saying to Elisha, hey, just stay here. Stay here. I'm going to go on ahead. Just, just stay here. So I don't need you to come with me, okay? Elisha says, no, I'm, I'm following after you. The next stop, hey, just please, just stay here. I'm, I'm going to go over there. I don't, don't, don't follow me anymore. Elisha's got to be thinking, what? I followed you now for six years, and now you're telling me to stay here? And I'm supposed to be the guy? I'm not ready to be the guy, and you're trying to get rid of me? I mean, there had to be some doubts in his mind of, what have I done for the past six years, and now I'm here? And he's trying, my leader, my mentor, is trying to get rid of me. Those doubts had to be there after he's following his teacher for this long. But the other thing that I want you to see, that, I, that the question that I want to ask are the voices of the other people. So the sons of the prophets, what that is, um, Elijah had a school of prophets, so to speak. At each town, these were good people. These were good men, other prophets in training that Elijah was over, that he was in care of, that he was taking care of. They were other good Christian people, good guys, okay? But still, we can still be taken off a path sometimes. And so I already think in Elijah's mind, Elisha's mind, He's wondering, what's, what's going on? Why is he testing me? Why does he not want me to follow? If that's not bad enough, he walks through the town, and the, the picture I see is Elijah's walking ahead, and he's the famous one. Everybody wants to get a piece of him. And the other prophets that are around, Elisha, he's leaving you. What are you going to do? you got nothing left, man. 
yes, I know, be quiet. Trying to tell that voice, be quiet, I don't want to hear you. He goes to the next town again, and the prophets come up. You're not ready for this. What are you going to do? He's leaving you soon. Give it up. Yes, I know. Be quiet. Sometimes, the question I want you guys to ask, in following Jesus, whose voices are you listening to? What's the voice that you listen to each and every day? Again, this was, this was, a, good, this was a good group of people, but still, the voice that was there was telling him, Hey, man, this is, this is not good. What, what are you going to do now? What's going to happen now, Elisha? And doubt can creep in. If Elisha's not careful and Elisha doesn't say, hey, be quiet, youth, I looked for many, many different types of translations where it would say shut up, and it didn't say shut up. It just says be quiet. I looked hard for it, but it wasn't there. He says be quiet. To all the voices, be quiet. In your life, you think about it. Think about what voices are speaking to you the most. What is it day in and day out that speaks to you and tells you you're not good enough? You're not successful enough. You've not done enough. You're not there. You're not here. This relationship's not good. This situation's not good. This job, whatever it may be, what voice speaks to you the most that is not seeking after Jesus? Because if you're not in God's word, that's the voice that should be speaking to you. That's the voice you should be listening to. But we so often, because in this world, everybody wants to talk, right? Everybody wants to talk. Everybody. And it's easy because you can pick up your phone now and you can record yourself and you can talk. And you can become insta-famous and you can be an influencer. And if you find yourself all of a sudden listening and listening and listening to that, you're not seeking after what Jesus has for you. See, there is a difference in hearing and listening. I have two kids. One is in here, one is not. One of them was a little bit harder to understand the difference in hearing and listening to me. I would say, honey, you're hearing me, but you're not listening to me. Hearing is I hear it, but listening is I'm applying it to my life. We hear a lot of stuff, but what are you listening to? What are you putting weight in when those voices are speaking to you? And you know what? The worst one, and I think Elisha, as he snaps back and says, be quiet, be quiet, the worst voice that we deal with, the hardest voice that we deal with is who? It's ourself. I think Elisha was in that point of already doubting what's going on, doubting I should have went back, I shouldn't have burned that, I shouldn't have gotten rid of that. He's leaving me now, I should have, I should have kept it there. That voice was his voice. So when he's telling them to be quiet, he's, I think he's telling himself to be quiet. Our own voices, what we put in, what we tell ourselves, guys, we're the worst to ourselves. We are our own worst enemy. What voice are you listening to when it comes to following Jesus? 2 Kings 2, 9 through 10, as we continue on. When I had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. And if you do not see me, it shall not be so. All right, so they just crossed the water. He took the cloak, smacked the water across. across. It's just the two of them walking along before the chariots come, and Elijah says to Elisha, what can I do for you? What do you need to keep going in this? And Elisha says, I need a double portion of your spirit. First thing I want to look at is that double portion. Back then, what that meant was the inheritance of the kids from from their father. The oldest son got a double portion. He received a double portion of the livestock, the finances, the stuff, whatever it may be. He got a double portion over the other ones. 
But he got that double portion because he was also dubbed to be in authority, in charge of the family business, of whatever it was that they were doing. The oldest son had that position of authority. He's saying, hey, I want the double portion. I need the double portion to continue on to be the leader of this group, to be the prophet, to be the man of God. I need a double portion. But more than that, what he meant was when he says a double portion of your spirit, the spirit of Elijah, which is the spirit of God. He was not saying, hey, I need your spirit, Elijah. I need the spirit of the God that is empowering you on my life. If I have any chance of doing what it is you've called me to do, I have got to have a double portion of the spirit of God on my life because I cannot do it on my own. I've seen what you've done. I've seen the miracles. I've seen all this. And if I do not have the spirit of God on my life, I will accomplish nothing. If I don't have the spirit of God, I can't do it. This wasn't a request of pride or of power, of fame, of, hey, I want to be awesome. It was of understanding that without the spirit of God on my life, I can do absolutely nothing. I need the spirit of God on my life. Elisha recognizes the need for the Spirit of God to be on him if he's going to continue the work of Elijah. Question three says, what are you asking God for right now in your life? God's an open, he has an open door policy. You can go to him with anything. Anything you want, you can go to him. You can ask him anything. He always wants to hear from us. He always wants to to hear from his children. But how often do we do what Elisha does and say, God, I want to hear your Spirit. I want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit that's leading me. God, I need the power of the Spirit in my life. How often do, is that our prayer life? How often is that the prayer life over our kids? That God, I, I need direction from my kids. I need your Spirit to tell me what to do in raising my kids. In this situation, in this relationship, in this marriage, in this friendship, in this job, how often do we start with, God, I need the power of your Spirit on me? Because if I do not have the power of your Spirit, I can do nothing on my own. God, there's pa- guys, there's power in the Spirit. And Elisha knew that. Elisha knew that if I do not have it, I am nothing. He knew he needed that. Worship team, you all can come up. We started this by jumping into the, the high drama climax scene of, of the movie. So we'll go ahead and finish that. As they were walking along and talking together, Suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. And he took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. I have that picture the whole time I'm seeing this. I just have this picture of two guys walking out to the pond, taking their cloaks, smacking the pond, and the pond separates, and they walk across the field over the hill, and then here come the chariots of fire and separate the two of them, and then one goes up in a whirl. And that's the picture that I see because I just, I see the Bible because it's real and this stuff happened. Elisha's there. He gets to witness it. He gets to see it. He sees the power of God in sending Elijah up. And then he comes back to the water after he just asked for the double portion on the spirit. And he comes back to that water, to that side of the pond, and says, hey, if, this, if I have any chance of this, where, God, are you at right now? If you, I, I need you right now. If I'm going to continue on with this, I need your power on me. And he takes that cloak, and he slaps that water, 
and it parts again. And the power of God is on his life. We cannot do anything on our own. Elisha, if he doesn't do these things in his life, if he doesn't get rid of the junk, if he doesn't burn the plow and get rid of the stuff, he's going to want to fall back to it. When times get tough, as he's following after his master, he's going to want to go back to what was comfortable and what was easy. And he's going to miss the power of the Spirit. And if he doesn't, if he listens to the voices of the people telling him, hey, you can't do this. You can't go that way. You can't go this direction. You're going to fail. This isn't going to work. If he listens to those voices, he doesn't tell them to hush, he's going to miss this opportunity. But even those two things are not enough. If you get to that point and you're seeking after the Lord and you're not asking for the power of him to be upon you in your life and the decisions that you're making and the directions you're going, there's no power. There's no change. Guys, without the Spirit of God on our lives, we can do nothing. And if you don't get rid of that junk, if you don't get rid of those voices, you won't hear from him. You won't hear what he has to say. You have to silence the voices. You have to silence the stuff so that you can hear what he wants to tell you. Because I guarantee you, Elisha misses the miracle if he doesn't go. If he doesn't go that direction, he misses the miracle. Guys, we don't want to miss the miracle. We don't want to miss the power. We don't want to miss what God has for our life by not being obedient to what his call is for us. Ask yourself those questions today. What is it that you need to leave behind in order to follow Jesus? Whose voices are you listening to more than the voice of God? And what are you asking him for? I'm not saying what you're even asking is wrong or bad, but there's something better. Ask for his spirit to speak to you. Ask for a willingness to hear what he has to say. Father, I just pray right now, God, that you would allow these words to sit in our hearts. God, and I just thank you that you provided me an opportunity to share. God, I thank you that these words impacted my life this week. And I just would pray that the words that were spoken today were your words. And God, that they sit in our hearts and that your spirit would work, that your spirit would move. And that as we go about this week, our lives look different because we're focused on you, because we eliminate stuff that's in our life, because we quiet the voices around us and we focus on what it is you want for us. God, allow us to ask for your spirit to be among us and to be in our hearts and to guide us. I love you and I thank you. Amen. You all can stand.